This podcast is meant for general health information and is not meant to override any medical advice. All questions will be screened and not contain any personal information. If you want a private consultation, contact us via positivechoice.org or you can contact your provider directly. Thank you and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Positive Choice Wellness Podcast. My name is Annalise. I'm an exercise physiologist and nutritionist. And my name's Melanie. I'm also an exercise physiologist and nutritionist. And today we are going to dive into, I think, a subject that both Melanie and I are pretty passionate about, which is how dieting can actually increase our risk of obesity and weight gain. I'm very passionate about this topic (laughs) because, well, I mean, I've experienced it. Mm -hmm. Many of our patients have experienced it is this kind of like up and down with our weight, uh, preoccupation with restricting and going off restricting and kind of never getting any peace. Mm -mm. And this obsession with calorie counting, I find is another one too, just obsessing over certain number you have to hit and just being stuck on that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, what interests you about this, Melanie? Well, I mean, the physiology of it. (laughs) So for me, a lot of it, I think is, um, you know, how, what our preconceived notions of dieting are, how they don't actually play out in the way we expect them to in the physiological aspect of things. So we expect if we eat so little, we're just going to lose a ton of weight. But the reality is you may not, you may actually be shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, physiologically speaking, your body doesn't necessarily know that you're trying to lose weight. Your body thinks you're starving and there's a famine and there's no food. So it's kind of interesting to see how we have these safety mechanisms in place to, to fight that, but also frustrating because we're now fighting our own natural body and how we are naturally and what naturally occurs. Yes. And the mental aspects too. Mm -hmm. I always kind of phrase it when I am, you know, talking to my patients or my classes is that it's really about what are we looking at? Are we looking at the short game of weight loss, which I feel like most of what we hear, most of the advice is all about pulling the weight off as quickly as possible. Yeah. Instant gratification. Exactly. But there's what I like to deal with, which is the long game. How do we change our weight, maintain that, and drop the struggle? Because I think that that's the ultimate goal. Yeah. I, I, mean, I always tell people, and we, I'm sure everyone's heard this, it's, a, it's the journey, not a race. Like You don't need to get there as fast as possible. It's about developing the skills that keep it off rather than just getting the weight off. And, and finding happiness and contentment in yeah. that. Because I've definitely met people who haven't been happy. <laughs> No, I mean, we can all pull the weight off, get to a certain weight, but how long can you stay there is really the key. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And being what we do for a living here, uh, a positive choice, definitely see a lot of that firsthand. Um, so I, that is probably another reason why I'm passionate about this topic, because I'm always seeing people kind of dealing with this exact thing the frustration of the weight loss, the unhappiness, the the misinformation really that's out there about what you need to do and then how that all pieces together, you know, with each person individually and how it's affecting them. And the mental aspect is so big on that too. So fascinating stuff. So let's start with the physiology side of it. 
Okay. That's where we we are experts in this. Yes. Um, let's start there. Yes. So when I am going on my first diet, okay, so for some of us that was very young, um, maybe for some of us we're a little bit older, but try and think back. You're starting on your first diet, and mm-hmm. it's all about restricting something. Yes. Whether it's calories or it's, you know, a certain macronutrients like carbs mm-hmm. or fats, whatever it is, you're you're restricting something. And then what's happening inside? Your body's not happy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean short short answer, your body's like, what are you doing? Um well, physiologically speaking, basically, you know, if we put ourselves in a calorie deficit, what I always like to remind my patients of when I teach this topic is that your body while the whole world is futuristic, your body is prehistoric. Your body doesn't know you're deliberately trying to lose weight. It doesn't know. All it knows is feast or famine. And if you are losing weight or trying to lose weight by eating less calories or restricting something or doing something like that, it's automatically going to go into famine mode. And we have to defend ourselves and protect ourselves from this weight loss that's now happening. So the next part of that, of course, is your body's going to do everything it can to stop you. <laughs> and, and just just a quick side note yes. on that. Um, when Melanie says famine mode or otherwise, I think more commonly known as starvation, starvation mode, mode yes. it does not mean that your body will start holding on no. to fats. No, that's not what happens. Here's here's what happens. Our body is also a perfect mathematical equation in terms of our energy stores. Mm -hmm. So your fat, in a very fundamental way, is just stored excess calories. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that uh, is there in case there's famine. Yeah. Right. That's a scary time because historically speaking, there was a lot of famine back in the olden times before we all existed. (laughs) Right. So if you came across like a giant feast, Mm -hmm. you wanted to eat a lot Mm -hmm. so that you could store up those extra calories for when food was scarce. Exactly. It was kind of this process of plump up, skinny out, plump up, skinny out because it was safety. And and your body was doing that to protect you in the times when there wasn't enough food. So with that prehistoric body concept in mind here, that's what we're now dealing with in the 21st century, where we are trying to lose weight for our own health because of course our body's really good at storing extra calories as energy, famine, so gotta store it. And now we're trying to fight a biological mechanism of protection. But it's not because we're forced to, it's because we're choosing to do so. You have food at your disposal. You're just making the conscious effort not to eat it versus historically, if there was a famine, you didn't have the option, you just didn't eat. (laughs) So there's a little bit of a control thing going on now that brings in the mental part we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But physiologically now, what's gonna start happening is your body is gonna try to slow the process down. So you're gonna lose fat. You'll lose fat if you're not eating a lot of food, but you're gonna lose muscle and that's, that's the part I, I, I'm really interested in is that part of the puzzle, which is you're losing muscle on top of the body fat you're losing too. So when you step on the scale and see these dramatic losses, it's not all fat. <laughs> right. And that, that muscle is what fuels our metabolism. Mm-hmm. So going back to, to the first time we start restricting, we have you know X amount of muscle that is there from our genetics from 
you know, our activity, whatever we're doing. And that is the, that's the fire that is fueling your metabolism. Mm -hmm. So now you're in a restrictive mode. Okay. And during a restrictive mode, you're taking in less calories than you're using, which means your body has to make up that deficit. Mm -hmm. And at first it's going to make up that deficit from the, uh, fat, right? That's what it's there for. It's going to break down those fat cells, use those extra calories, but because this deficit is going on a while, mm -hmm. now that muscle mass is becoming a threat mm -hmm. to your body maintaining its energy balance. Exactly. Because it's costing a lot. And if you aren't using it, i.e. doing strength training, then your body will start dipping in to breaking down some of that muscle to make up that calorie deficit because it is now a threat to maintaining mm -hmm. your life. Exactly. Essentially. Exactly. The, the muscle mass is so metabolically active. Your body is basically shifting into, well, let's start eliminating some of those extra calories burned to slow this process down. And it's no fault of our own. We don't have control over this. This is how we are as human beings. But I love to share the simple solution. The easiest solution to this is strength training. Really, there is a solution. You just got to do it. <laughs> right. Because studies actually show that if you are losing weight through a calorie deficit alone, meaning, you know, you are just cutting your eating or you are cutting your eating and just doing cardio like walking, mm -hmm. almost half of the weight you lose will be from muscle. Mm -hmm. So you are not necessarily even changing your body composition. No. You are just becoming a lighter person. But here's the key. And here's why dieting leads to uh, weight gain in the long run. When you get done with that diet and you haven't been doing strength training, mm -hmm. your metabolism is now slower than what it was yep. when you started. Yep. So if you go back to your old eating habits, you slip back in, which most of us do, the weight that you put back on is fat, not muscle. Exactly. So now you are theoretically back to your original weight, but now you have a slower metabolism, which means the weight is going to climb mm -hmm. because now you are like increasing that difference of calories in versus calories out and yeah. that's why that's the fundamental reason why when you lose weight you gain it all back plus more yep and i you know we we have a body composition analysis machine here that we you know we were using a whole bunch pre-pandemic and one of the things that i always observed were people who would come in for like their pre-test before they go into a weight loss program like let me see where i'm at and you get their baseline you're like okay here's where you're at here's your fat mass you know let's say this person for example is 45 percent body fat which depending on gender should be anywhere between 11 and 20 percent give or take right depending on the person men typically a lot lower than women but there's always like a percentage that we kind of aim for, but 45 is just high, no matter who you are. Right. For women, like 35 would be the high end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So 
I mean, I'm talking like ultimate lows. So yeah, for women, totally, we have a little bit more flexibility, ha huh. But, <laughs> but generally speaking, um, these people come in, so, so someone will be 45%, they go through this very low calorie diet, you know, crash diet essentially, and come back and go, I've lost all my weight and I'm feeling so good. And I want to see where I'm at. And you put them on there and they're 41% body fat. Right. But they're an ideal BMI. Yeah, their, their weight is down. Their BMI is fine, but their fat mass is still really, really high. And their muscle mass is now under where it needs to be. And then I've seen some of these same people repeatedly. So then they go through another process of losing the weight. Cause then of course, as we would expect their metabolism slower, they eat food. They start to gain really rapidly. Can't figure out why panic mode sets in. Then they start eating cause they're panicking and that vicious cycle gain weight back, come back into another baseline. And they're even more like they're 50 something percent body fat. Now they're even higher than they had been. They're heavier than they had been. It's like a slippery slope, essentially. Right. Well, essentially every diet that you go on without doing strength training, mm -hmm. you are lowering your metabolism Absolutely. every single time. So imagine that you have been dieting on and off your entire life. Yeah. You've had many, many hits to your muscle mass. Yeah. Well, I'm sure those are the folks who, you know, might be in their fifties or sixties, having repeatedly done these diets and then just be like, I can't lose weight on my own anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you kind of, kind of can't, it's going to be really difficult. So strength training is the absolute here. You, you gotta be doing it because it tricks your body into keeping it. Cause if you don't use it, you lose it. So you have to use it. And what drives me crazy, this is something that drives me insane as an exercise physiologist and people tell me they're going through this weight program, they're going to lose all this weight, but they're going to wait till they lose the weight before they do strength training because they want to like get the weight off first and mm -hmm. then they'll build up the routine. And I'm like, no, and I'll throw something at them. I, I had someone tell me just yesterday that muscle will make them heavier and they don't want to be heavier. Ah! <laughs> and I, I, I guess the, the only thing that, if, if you are thinking that, the only thing that I can say about that is, again, are you playing the short game or are you playing the long game? Do you want to struggle with your weight um, the rest of your life and beyond these razor thin margins for how many calories you can take in? Or are you really wanting to become healthier and leaner? And the other thing that I will say is that it takes a lot of time and effort to put on muscle mass. So when yes. we're talking about like, if you are a woman, putting on five pounds of muscle mass takes about six to eight months mm -hmm. of concerted effort and eating to do that Yep, for five pounds. Yes. And seriously, that's another one of those things where people say, well, I don't want to look buff. And I'm like, you're not going to pick up a dumbbell, go up oh, now I'm buff. Like, look at that. How it's easy. That's actually a big reason why a lot of people get so frustrated with strength training is because the results aren't immediate and it takes a long time for them to start showing themselves, especially with a, an amount of muscle gain, like six, five pounds, six pounds. That's a lot. It doesn't seem like a lot because numerically you're like, well, five, five is a small number. 20 is a big number. Five in terms of building muscle, very, very, very high. Big number, big, big number right. in terms of muscle mass. That could boost your metabolism. Five pounds added could boost your metabolism of 150 extra calories a day. Mm -hmm. And that's just you resting. Yeah, just being alive. Right. And so 
I love that you said that because strength training is an investment. Mm -hmm. It's an investment in um, not only just your long-term mobility, it's an investment in your metabolism mm -hmm. and ability to keep weight off. Exactly. So with that takeaway, if you're going to do any sort of weight loss program, regardless of what it is, you should absolutely do strength training. Like no questions about that. You should absolutely do it. If you want to do long, sustainable weight loss and keep it off, that is a big part of it. Obviously the dieting mentality needs to go too, but we're going to get to that. Yeah, We're going to get to that. <laughs> so let's then shift gears. Cause I feel like at this point, I think we've exhausted the topic of building muscle and strength. Yes. I.e. the take home message is if you want to lose weight, put a priority on doing strength training. Exactly. So then let's talk then about how eating less isn't always more. All right. Let, let's dig into this. I, I want to talk about that because I love this. Because we were chatting before we felt we're recording this, and I was like, "Ooh, I'm excited to talk about what I at least found." <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what what I wanted to share with you guys is a very famous study um, called the Minnesota Starvation Study or Minnesota Semi-Starvation Study, um, and it's very famous because it really shows some of the mental repercussions of restriction. Um, and this was done in 1944 through 1945. So this is, this is from a long time ago. So this is not new information. No. Um, but here's, here's the deal. Um, because of the time period, of course, it was done all on men, um, and <laughs> relatively, relatively young men, but it's worth looking at, at what came out. So it was a year long study, which is that's, that's a long time. And that's impressive because as people who have been in the field where there's a lot of research done, it's really hard to get people to stay and do the thing you want them to do. So this is impressive. Yes. In and of itself. Exactly. Exactly. And basically what they wanted to look at is with calorie restriction, what are some of the mental outcomes? What are some of the behavior outcomes of restriction? And they started off um, with the subjects and they did a 12 week control period. Um, and these are men. So they had them at around 3,200 calories a day. Um, and that was generally to keep them at, at a stable weight. Mm -hmm. And that was for 12 weeks. So it was just, you know, to control what, what's going on. Yeah. Then for six months, they cut the calories down to 1,560. Okay. So this, when I first read this study, this shocked me. Because that's what they consider starvation. <laughs> right. When in such, in so many, so much of our diet cultures, so much advice, it's like, oh, eat 12 to 1500 calories a day. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, don't go below 12 because that's starvation mode. Right. Or eat as little as possible. What, whatever it is, I think for a lot of people that I have run into, and I guess my own self, um, sixteen hundred calories seems like a heck of a lot of food. Yeah, it does. Okay, <laughs> but in this study, let's keep in mind that starvation was deemed at sixteen hundred, about sixteen hundred calories for these men for six months. Okay. Then um, they had a restricted rehabilitation period for about 12 weeks where they 
put them in different categories of amount of food. Um, and then the final eight weeks of the study, they had unrestricted eating, just eat whatever, whatever you want. And you know, you want to know what they found, Melanie? What did they find? Okay, among the many conclusions of the study, they found that prolonged semi-starvation produces significant increases in depression, hysteria, and hypochondria. Interesting. Hypochondria. (laughs) Yes. That's the one that caught me there. I also think it just is like a side note. The use of hysteria, like nobody uses no, that anymore. No, I did. I did pick up on that. Like, mm, yeah, I don't know about that one. <laughs> right, uh, but I guess so, it was the forties. So right, so it's very indicative of of the time. But significant in- increases in in depression. I thought very very interesting. Um, they also found that the participants, and I'm sure that this will shock you and everybody else exhibited a preoccupation with food shocking oh my gosh (laughs) (laughs) and interestingly enough not just during the starvation period also during the rehabilitation period when they were allowed to eat whatever they wanted oh so it kind of messed up their heads and then they're stuck in that mode of oh i gotta have food i gotta have food yes so now we're so we're seeing that just this six months around 1600 calories a day produced depression mm-hmm. preoccupation with food they also found that sexual interest was drastically reduced and the volunteers showed signs of social withdrawal and isolation they also reported a decline in concentration comprehension and judgment capabilities oh that's so interesting it's almost because I, I think about when you're saying like they have all these these mental health things that are kind of coming up as a result of this and especially the preoccupation with food, which leads me to think back to that whole prehistoric body thing we talked about earlier where you were in a famine. Now your body's ready. It knows. Oh, famine time. Let's let's get some food because you're starving. Makes sense. Well, and it also kind of shows that our mind doesn't necessarily let go of things. Mm-hmm. So once you oh, we have... all know that we all hold grudges. Come on, <laughs> <laughs> right? When we're still thinking about that bully from when we were six years or old, that jerk on the road who cuts you off while you're driving here, and you're still mad about them. You're never gonna see him again, <laughs> right? So you put your body through a, a little famine period, and your brain remembers. Yes, and so I just I I thought that this was fascinating but also when we take it into what i have experienced what we see with our patients um what you the listeners have maybe experienced for yourself that cycle of deprivation overeating deprivation overeating yeah that's you know that's interesting you bring that up because that's very true where because we, th- uh, this is what you commonly hear, right? Starvation mode. So if you eat under a certain amount of calories, your body will start holding on to stuff and you'll start, um, you know, not losing weight. But the reality of it is you'll probably lose weight. I mean, if you don't eat enough food, you're going to start losing weight. That's just a natural process. It's the other days that you binge on things because you've mm-hmm. been starving this whole time. So because we think starvation mode, no, your body just holds on to fat. No, it's because two days after you've been starving yourself, you go eat an entire pizza. 
Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. You just don't talk about that part. You just say, oh no, it's my body. No, it's you because you were starving yourself. Right. And we're keeping our focus on the days that we are feeling deprived. Mm-hmm. And so the perception becomes, I have been denying myself. Yeah. Well, yeah, you have. But then, you know, your your cheat day or cheat meal was so many calories that it bumped up your average. Yeah, didn't I think we talked about this a while ago with one of our research shares for a meeting we did, but I think we determined it was like anywhere from like three-ish to four days max you can survive on like super low amount of calories. And after about four days, you kind of go off the rails. It's just consistently <laughs> seen in the research of like, okay, I, I white knuckled it three days in, day four up, time ago to get myself some ice cream and some fries and whatever. Because you have starvation brain. <laughs> mm. And I thought that was really interesting because that's really what you see is this starve, 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 binge cycle that's very repetitious in a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And you're not alone if you've done this. You and like everyone else in this world probably have done this before because it's just a natural process of staying alive. <laughs> right, right. And then then we go into some of the, the psychological ramifications. So if you're dealing with um, loss of judgment, mm-hmm. loss of concentration, depression. One thing that a lot of people do to feel better, hmm. eat. It Eating is- carbs raises your serotonin levels, raises your dopamine levels. Yeah. It makes us feel good and safe. And so if your dieting is causing you mental distress on a, on a physiological level, we haven't even gotten to like the what we tell ourselves about this and how that affects it. Yeah. Then you are now just in almost an overwhelming cycle destined to have you overeat. Yeah. You know, because just coming back to it, less is not always more. Like we don't eat, need to eat so little that we can barely function just to lose weight. Um, and I remember this, this particular moment clearly of one of the times I did a body composition test on a woman who was actually one inch taller than me. She was six, one. I was like, yes, short. <laughs> and that was very exciting. Um, and she was, she was in the, like the 300 pound range and she was wanting to lose weight. And like the taller you are, the more weight you can carry. It's just kind of how it is. So it sounds like a lot, but as a six foot something person, she looked curvy, right? It wasn't bad. And we were chatting and I was asking her like, well, how many calories are you eating per day? Cause she's like, I'm just really having a hard time losing weight. I just can't lose any weight. She's like, oh, like 1200 calories. And I'm thinking you're taller than me and I don't even eat 1200 calories to lose weight. So there's something that's, that's got to change here. And we ran a composition test on her. I found out in the middle of running it that she was a power lifter. So her calorie count came out to 2,800 as like her, just her baseline metabolism. Mm. And she was eating 1,200. So she was doing exactly what we saw in that study where she was under eating, under eating, under eating, and then overeating the next however many days. And she was clearly eating well over 3,000 calories to make up the difference. And then she was stuck in a cycle of starve, 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 binge. And I've seen it firsthand. And it was crazy because then she upped her calories and started losing weight. Yeah. What a concept. You eat more, you lose weight. What, what is this? What is the nonsense? <laughs> because it's essentially, it's essentially listeners is that if you're not doing that starve, starve, starve binge, you're more likely to eat less calories on the whole. Mm-hmm. And that's how the weight loss happens. Yep. 
counterintuitive, but actually exactly how it works. <laughs> right. Right. But let's, let's get into like the psychological part of that because physiologically, I think at this point now we've talked about enough. We have a full grasp, like physiologically, mm-hmm. if you eat too little, you're going to have these mechanisms that crop up to protect you. Yes. So what's happening upstairs in the old noggin? Oh, so much. And (laughs) this is truly um, one of my my favorite topics to talk about, which is how deprivation drives us to want to eat. And it has to do so there's everything that that we talked about. And then there's everything that we tell ourselves about what's happening. Mm. Okay, so on a very uh, fundamental level and This comes from another example that just happened recently of like, I'm on my eating plan, not me, someone they're on their eating plan. And, uh, over the weekend they had pizza and ice cream Mm -hmm. and in a, in a healthy perspective, what you should tell yourself about that is well, yeah, I had pizza and ice cream. I'm alive. This is my life. It's just a part of, it's just a part of what I do. Enjoying life. Yeah. It's no big deal in the big scheme of things. I ate some pizza. I had some ice cream. Certainly not going to harm me. Okay. But what I hear a lot of is, oh, I cheated and now I feel so guilty. And how am I ever going to get this weight off? And and see, I'm not good enough, and I don't lack, and I lack willpower. So now you have started this like mental beating up of yourself. Yep. Over something that was completely harmless. But now I have created an inner world that is making me uncomfortable. Aha. I think that's very interesting you bring that up. And we have a, a class that we teach um, within Healthy Balance on like cheating. There's like a little like section on cheating, and I always come in into it like cheating is such a dirty word. I hate that word. I hate that word so bad. And it's not the act of; it's the word itself and the connotation behind it. Mm-hmm. You made a choice. At the end of the day, it's always choices that we make in terms of what we put in our bodies. No one's holding you down and force feeding you stuff. That would be cheating, I guess, because you don't have control over it. I guess I don't know. But when we allow ourselves to enjoy something versus when we have something and we tell ourselves, no, that was bad, there's two different things happening there. If you eat something and say, oh, I'm so bad, I shouldn't have done that, I screwed up. As Annalise was kind of mentioning, you're telling yourself a story. And that story is probably not true. But you're going to repeat it enough that you're going to start believing it. And that's your story. Whereas if you eat those things... And you go, you know what? I had it. It was fine. And I enjoyed every second of it. And I'm going to be really good tomorrow. And it's no big deal because like it's over. It's in the past. And I love that pizza and ice cream. I'm happy. Tomorrow I'm going to go for a nice hike and go eat some salad somewhere. You're going to have so much more success because you're content with that decision you made versus when you tell yourself it's a bad choice. You're going to have all this disrupts psychologically where you're going to start coping with the fact that you feel bad about a decision you made. And there's a whole other spiel of things that can start happening there eating to feel better because you're sad, the obsession with food, that's another part of it. A lot of stuff going on. Well, and also the underlying messages that come with this. Mm -hmm. So the second second I tell myself that eating pizza is bad and eating salad is good, 
we all have a desire as human beings to feel good. Mm -hmm. We want to feel as if we are doing the right thing. We are being good. We are living up to what we consider to be good. So the second you start putting labels on, I ate pizza and it was bad and now I'm bad. Yep. Okay. Now I've sent two very clear messages. And the first one is that I'm bad. Just not true. No. You're you're not being bad for eating a piece of cake or whatever. That cake didn't hurt anybody, so it's all good. (laughs) (laughs) The second message is, is that if my intention is to be good and I've already been bad, then tomorrow or Monday, I've got to get back to being good. And therefore, I have this moment in time where... I can continue to be bad because I know when I'm going to go back to being good. Mm-hmm. So that allows a uh, kind of permission to binge, to overeat. Um, and the underlying message is still going on. I'm bad while mm-hmm. you're doing this. So you're getting some kind of payoff, but then you are also getting that like negative undercurrent of belief system. Yep. And the third part of this is the fact that you just lied to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So the idea that you will never have pizza again because the intention is to be good. Well, A, I guess you could never have pizza again, but you probably will. Yeah. So um, basically you told yourself this story so you could eat an entire pizza on the premise that you're going to be good from here on out. At the end of the day, we have a rational brain. We have to rationalize every behavior we do. And that was your rationale. Right. So, and then I guess you could never eat pizza again, but who really wants to live that life? So (laughs) (laughs) if I was told you could never eat pizza again, I would be very sad. Uh, Yeah. So there's a lot of messaging going on behind just that that behavior, just that thought process of this is bad. I shouldn't do this. I should punish myself. It's just food. Mm -hmm. It is just food. It's simply put, yes, it's just food. And you're allowing food to have so much control over your life when you're the one in control of your life. Why is food controlling you? Or at least why are you letting it? Well, yeah. So, yeah. And almost feeling just... When you mention that, I'm like, well, yeah, you are kind of letting food control you. But Mm -hmm. the whole idea behind dieting is that you are finally controlling the food. Yeah, no, that's not true. We know that. That's a lie. (laughs) Like, I'm all about what is what is the story you're telling yourself and what's what's that story? And is it true? And I think you've pointed it out to me a few times. I'll like we'll have chats and I'll be like, man, something going on. You're like, is that the true story or is that what you're telling yourself? I'm like, it's not a true story. <laughs> we do that to each other, so it's fine. But you you gotta have people in your life that can check you on on your thinking. Because we all get into like false thinking, telling ourselves the stories that fit our narrative. Like I'm bad because I did this. Like, are you bad because you did that? Or did you really just want that and it's just one piece of cake? Oh, right. It's just one piece of cake. Yeah, you're not bad and stop saying lies. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You're not bad. At the end of the day, you ate a piece of cake. And I hope it was good. And I hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, I hope you loved every second of that. Because I'm all about 
like this is a big message I always put in my classes. I'm all about balance. And yeah, hey, healthy balance, puns in the name, <laughs> but not intentional, of course. The main point of this is finding balance within your life where you can have that balance of foods that you consider bad, but they're not because no food is really inherently bad and no, well, there are foods that are inherently good, but no food's really bad. There's foods that I like to say that are healthy or indulgent. And if you want to have indulgent food, giving yourself permission and allowing it and being okay with it is going to make such a huge difference in the long term versus if you say, oh, that's bad. I can't have that because now you just put it on a pedestal. You're going to be obsessed with it and you're going to want it even more. So rather than saying, no, you can't have that. That's bad. Be like, I don't need that right now, but I can have it on Saturday or, oh, I just, I do want to have it right now. Like whatever you want to tell yourself, but tell yourself a story that's true. Right. And that kind of takes the power out of the food. Exactly. Because who wants to be controlled by cake? Really? Right. Well, and just sometimes we get stuck on things that we don't even enjoy that much. Yeah. It's just you've decided you can't have it. And maybe maybe you've also decided that only thin people get to have X, Y, Z. Actually, I had this conversation with my husband the other day. I was like, I was like, people who struggle with this diet mentality, we're talking about diet mentality, actually. And I was like, they get so hung up on, you know, what thin people can do and what thin people have access to and what they're mm-hmm. doing. I'm like, you understand that they're doing all the things we want you to do, but they just do it because it's an ingrained habit. We're asking you to create said habits where, you know, thin people do eat cake sometimes and thin people do drink wine sometimes, but thin people also exercise and eat healthy and watch their calories occasionally, some people do. And to keep their weight in check, they're just keeping these checks and balances in their life so everything has balance. Right, and and just acknowledging that you don't see everybody's life. No. But, okay. This is a silly example, but I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> so we like silly here. Let's do it. Uh, I love Britney Spears. I grew up with Britney Spears. We're the same age. Um, so I follow her Instagram. And one day she was making a sandwich on her Instagram. Like, I don't know, replicating some sandwich that she'd had somewhere else sometime in her life. And so I'm watching her make this sandwich. It's full of fats and focaccia and (laughs) nuts and you know and I'm like wow you know that that's a lot of like not I guess I should say calorie dense food going in there yeah so like watching the video and she makes the tiniest sandwich I've ever seen cuts it in half And the narrative is, well, yeah, it's hot, so we don't need a lot of food. And I'm looking at this little teeny tiny triangle of a sandwich and how small and fit Brittany is Mm -hmm. and always has been. And I just had this moment of like, that's what she considers a meal. (laughs) (laughs) It's so little. That's not fair. (laughs) And, And so like, not that it's not fair. I just I just have this thing of like, that's really interesting. And I think that sometimes people have a perception they might see someone like Brittany with a giant Frappuccino Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh, that's just so unfair. I'm not allowed to have a giant Frappuccino. Well, then now we look at her sandwich size and we're like, oh, oh, that's why she has the giant Frappuccino, because she ate that EDB little sandwich to balance the calories. Right, whether she's thinking about it or not. Yeah. But, yeah, I just, I don't know. Well, I, 
it, it's good to get that perspective though the outside perspective like oh what are other people doing and if you get a real peek into that be like oh okay light bulb moment that makes sense um but not to cut the conversation short but it's about that time oh it is about that time okay i'm the i'm the timekeeper so you don't know what time it is but it's very much about that time <laughs> Well, okay, so I think, like, to tie up then, mm -hmm. one, one of the things that makes weight loss so challenging is this whole thing, right? So how do we, if we want to lose weight, how do we kind of avoid these pitfalls? Strength train. <laughs> Number one, since that was the first thing that came out strain, the gate with, we're going to say strain training because that's going to keep your muscle mass and keep your metabolism going, which is going to be step one in this cycle. Yeah. So strength train. I think the next thing is we have to have a calorie deficit to lose weight. Yep. Make your calorie deficit small. Yeah. Stick to, you know, a 500 calorie deficit per day. And that includes your walking. That includes your food. Um, you can use a, you know, online calculator for your, uh, base metabolism rate. Add on to that. If you're having trouble beyond that, get, get some professional, um, counseling on mm -hmm. that. Yeah. You can meet with a dietitian. They can figure out your calories as well. If you, if you want to go that route, you can do the SACA test here. You can have a, an consult with one of us. We are happy to, to help you figure that out, but make it small mm -hmm. because we know when they make it too big, yeah, you can, you can probably stick to it, but you are priming yourself for overeating later. Yeah. Just because it works in the short term doesn't mean it's effective in the long term. That's right. And then lastly, watch the story that you're telling yourself. Mm -hmm. What are you telling yourself about food, about what you are allowed, about your self-worth and your weight? Mm -hmm. And be kind. Yeah. Like, just imagine you have Annalise Sarai on the other end of the text and be like, am I telling myself this true story? It's like, are you telling yourself a true story? I'd be like, no. There you go. Just pretend that we're telling you. No, you're not saying a true story. Don't lie to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> just, just be kind. That is a big thing, though. Be kind. Be kind to yourself. Mm -hmm. Talk to yourself as if it's your best friend mm -hmm. or your child. Your child just had a really rough day and ate half a pizza by themselves and is crying. Talk to them as you as. Yeah. Talk to yourself as you would talk to them in that moment. Yeah, exactly. Be compassionate with yourself. It's not just other people who need it. You need it too. Yeah, you, you need it because you're always listening to you all yeah. day, every day. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so this was wonderful. Yes. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad I was here today. What an honor. So with that... <laughs> <laughs> all right you guys thanks for joining us um make sure to like subscribe comment if you have any questions leave them in the comment section we will answer them on future episodes and until next time everybody bye